Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, True Roger fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today, we got a very special show for you on the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk with USC wide receiver coach Steve Martin. Before we get to him, I wanted to say, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you here on the podcast. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 206-888-6755, or you go right to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail right there from your computer. All right, we are joined by USC wide receiver coach T. Martin coming on the program on the Peristyle Podcast. T, welcome to the program. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for having it. It's, uh, you know, the off season. Oh, by the way, if you can follow T. Martin on Twitter, at CoachT17, at CoachT17, uh, you might know, if you don't know T. Martin, you might know him from the 1998 National Championship game. Uh, Tennessee versus Florida State, and my wife is a big fan of yours, T, because she's a, a UT grad, so she she loves that yeah, we're going to have baby. you. Yeah, go ball. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. Uh, you're, so you're enjoying your time out here on the West Coast the last few years? You know, I am. It, it's been a blessing, you know, for me and my family, and to, to be a part of the USC family, um, you know, working with Pat Hayden, and uh, just having an opportunity on the Coach Kiffin, then been blessed enough to be on the staff with Coach Arkeev. It's just been great. You know, the community has embraced us. Uh, we've got a chance to meet a lot of people being out and about and recruiting. Uh, my family having young kids, playing little league ball, and just being in the community. It's just been great and uh, connects for a better place. I think uh, I think your youngest did just have a birthday. Is that correct? Yeah, he did. He turned three years old wow. yesterday. So he got his birthday and uh, – yeah, then my eleven-year-old just made the all-star team in baseball, so we're excited. Nice. Is he going to play football at all, or? You know what? Um, I'm hoping he plays baseball. But <laughs> he uh, he's grown up in football, and you know he's pretty much all-around sport. You know he's so young that I just like to see young guys play everything. And you know he gets to high school, we'll figure it out then. But right now, I just like to see him have fun. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh. I think it's good to be well-rounded as a as a young athlete there. But man, you look at the what those baseball players make. It's football, you know. There's no guaranteed contracts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah. There are a lot of benefits to playing baseball. You know, they <laughs> play longer. You know, they do have long seasons, and it's a it's a tough way to get to the majors and so on and so forth. But they play forever, and again, you know, contracts which is different than football, but. You know, hopefully uh, he's blessed to do something like that. And uh, I'm just trying to find a way not to have to pay for college. <laughs> That's good. Well, I think if you're a coach, don't like if you stayed at USC till he was 18 years old, can't your your kids can go to school for free, right? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. I would love to stay at USC that long. <laughs> 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 it, it, it's a lot of good in that. But, uh, but yeah, there are some tuition remission type uh, programs set up uh, at most universities. Oh, cool. Uh, well, I wanted to talk about uh, kind of the upcoming season, but maybe give a little kind of recap of what was going on in spring and kind of get your thoughts on, uh, you know, how everything went with the, the wide receiver core in spring. Yeah, you know, uh, really challenged the group. 
um, coming into spring, having lost two really good football players uh, with Nelson Aguilar and George Farmer uh, leaving the group. And uh, we even count back to Victor Blackwell uh, not being around. Uh, we really look around the room and there are three guys who uh, we started the season with last season that we, we won't have this season going in or going into the spring we wouldn't have. So that was a challenge for young guys who had been around the program but not started many games or haven't played a whole lot to really step up to the forefront and, uh, and take their positions, you know, be responsible, commit themselves to consistently producing and uh, to be the guy, you know, having a young Juju Smith coming back when it was his first spring practice, and Dory Jackson first spring practice, and then having a healthy Stephen Mitchell, uh, Darius Rogers, who really, with Darius, is really the the, the most uh, experienced guy in the room uh, now, uh, along with a few of the walk-on guys with Christian Tolver and George Catrib and Robert Colas. But other than that, man, we were a young, fairly inexperienced group that uh, got challenged to to uh, get better every day of spring. And some guys really did uh, make some strides to uh, show us as a staff that uh, we have something to be excited for uh, heading into summer camp. Yeah, the uh, you know, it's funny. Maybe we can jump into that now. You mentioned some of the walk-ons' names. And uh, we were out there at the player-run practices that, as, as people know, you're not allowed to be there as a coach. Yeah, um, but right. we can go check out. And at the end of the practice, uh, David Melstrom, who's a transfer from Virginia Tech, was like, doing these little trick plays on the side. Yeah, and he did a backflip catch, which was kind of crazy. I mean, you guys have some really talented walk-on receivers. Man, David David is the coolest kid, man. That's my guy right there, man. Today, I think he uh, used half of the bottle of hair gel so his hair (laughs) slipped back. That's my guy right there, man. Very athletic, like you said, the GNT transfer. That, uh, you know, he was interviewing for Wall Street one minute, and the next minute he was coming to practice. And so... Just an amazing young man. Uh, excited about him. Robbie Colas from Palo Verde has been awesome. Uh, Christian Tolbert, uh, George Catrib, who last year actually earned a scholarship uh, for the team. And then uh, Aaron Miner, you know, uh, that's a group of guys who walked onto the team, paid their own way uh, to go to college. And there are a lot of universities that would love to have those guys as scholarship guys. So, you know, we've been fortunate to really have those guys be the players that they are. You know, we're not scared to play them. And as you guys have seen over the last couple of years, they've had games where they've helped us, whether it be on offense or special teams. You know, we, we are scared to play them. They come in and earn their spots, and their teammates respect them, and, and we let them play. Yeah, it's uh, they've been they've really impressed me. And and I guess the good thing, and I don't I don't know if you can actually even talk about this, but the with you guys coming off sanctions, you're probably going to be in the mid-70s for scholarships. But some of these guys, maybe a benefit of the sanctions, could earn scholarships, these walk-ons, because you guys are still going to be, you know, nine or ten total scholarships under that 85 limit. So it might be a benefit for them to help get those numbers back up. Uh, these guys, and it seems like the receivers, you have your more than your fair share of, of guys that have been in the program more than a couple years, so they wouldn't count as an initial scholarship. And, and are good enough and talented enough to play. I mean, it might be good. You might have a whole bunch of extra scholarship receivers come the fall. Yeah, you know, it, it has been a balancing act, so to speak, you know, with Coach Sarkeesian and uh, our staff. Of, there's so many guys who've helped us through sanction. And there, there were times where 
we wouldn't have been functional you know, at practice and in some games if we didn't have quality walk-ons. And, you know, our hats are off to those guys. And we try to do the best we can and do what we can to help them. When there's money available, when there's an opportunity to put a guy on scholarship, sometimes it's for a year. Sometimes guys stay on and, you know, some guys get on and they come off. But I think coach does the best he can, you know, really trying to balance that and uh, give guys their their, their fair uh, due, you know, for earning uh, a scholarship. And hopefully it can help some guys out. Uh, but I can't – I don't know how many uh, we'll be able to do that for or not. But uh, coach does the best he can to show them some love, so to speak. The uh, one of the, the new players on the squad that you got to see in the uh, spring was Isaac Whitney from Riverside, a uh, bigger guy. They listed yeah. him at six four, but I don't know. He, th- he seems more like a six three, three ish kind of guy to me. Yeah. But you know, two two hundred plus pounds. What did you see out of him this spring? Yeah, yeah, man, he's explosive. You know, to be six three, uh, four 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 three eight guy. Um, last we timed him. Uh, Really smooth, great hands, physical, blocking on the edge. Uh, man, had a lot to learn. You know, he came in and had a full class load, and uh, he passed every class, didn't drop a class, didn't miss anything. Just a quality, quality person. Comes from a great family, a lot of support there, and uh, just a young man who understands his opportunity and understands the sense of urgency given that he has two years to play. and. He's come in and worked his tail off and uh, gained the trust of guys on our staff and our the, the team as well. You know, but he's a big play guy who uh, is bringing something to the table that we really hadn't had in a while. You know, since I've been at USC, you know, I think the tallest receiver we've had has been six one. You know, really George Farmer, uh, Darius Rogers, and you uh, get the opportunity to add uh, Isaac and Daquan Hampton to the mix of guys who have size and can run. And so that's something that we wanted to do in the recruiting class was to go out and find really, really fast guys or find really big guys. And we were able to do both of those two. Yeah, Daquan Hampton is definitely a big guy. He he looks significantly bigger than, than Isaac Whitney, who's a big guy too. Um, and we, yeah. got to, we got to see him out at the player – excuse me, last Thursday, uh, first time we saw him at the player-run practice. And, uh, man, he just he, – he looked like he could come in and play tight end when they really only had – uh, Caleb Wilson, the you know the the walk on from Sarah was like the only tight end out there. Uh, but you see Daquan Hampton, like he looked like tight end size. He's he's certainly someone that we haven't seen around in a USC uniform playing wide receiver for quite a while. Yeah, you know he uh, he fits the mold of you know when you thought of USC receivers, you know when I used to watch USC, you always thought of those big guys, man, Keyshawn Johnson and Mike Williams, Dwayne Jerry, you know just big guys, you know that could run. And, make those, uh, you know, like I call in-the-paint type catches, you know, basketball in-the-paint type rebound catches, and uh, really can body people up and in the run game. You know, those guys help you out a lot in the run game. And so uh, it's good, you know, to break size, to, you know, kind of balance out the, you know, Juju and Stephen Mitchell and, and guys like that who are, you know, your speed type guys, athletic guys that you want to have in space. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's gonna be someone to watch. He's I remember seeing Mike Williams for the first time. I think he was wearing number nineteen when he was like coming out to to practice, and uh, then they ended up switching him to number one. And you're just like, who is that guy? Because he was like a three star recruit coming out of high school. Hampton kind of reminded yeah. me of that a little bit. Just like, whoa, that's someone you have to watch. He's just he was big enough, and he made enough plays out there 
That like you know he, yeah. he wasn't like he was just big. He looked like he was athletic and could run as well. Yeah, you know, and uh, hopefully he continues to translate and keeps learning. You know, well, I'm excited to have him. You know, Isaac was there for the spring, but the corn pretty much made all the practices he could. He's been working hard to learn the system, but just excited to have both of those new faces in the training camp. One of the scout did a piece on some of the breakout players for the Pac-12 um, in spring football, and one of the guys they had mentioned uh, was Stephen Mitchell, and uh, you know, coming back, uh, you know, from Mission Hills. Uh, Bishop Alameda High School coming back off the the knee injury, it looks like he's got that spark back. I mean, what did you see from Stephen Mitchell uh, out there in the spring? You know, what I saw in the spring was a continuation of what he had been doing towards the end of the season. When like, you really watch him, yeah, it, it was a crazy number. I think like every third time we attempted to throw the ball to him, it was a touchdown uh, <laughs> toward the end of the year, and so it showed his explosiveness and the tough thing for Steven was that, you know, he was Nelson's backup and Nelson's one of those guys that just would not want to come out of games. So uh, it's hard when you're talented, uh, you know you can play, but your opportunities are limited. And I think what it did was motivate Steven and really show him that, you know, Nelson is gone, it's my time. And so he killed it in the weight room. I mean, just really worked hard and then coming into spring, man, he was outstanding the most productive receiver in the spring for us, um, least amount of drafts of all of them, and just really made explosive play after explosive play. So we really have a two-headed monster there with uh, Steven and Dory Jackson and guys that we try to move around to get them uh, opportunities to get the ball in the space. And, you know, he showed us that, you know, he, he's a guy that we can depend on there. Yeah, uh, Darius Rogers, I think a lot of people are kind of waiting for that breakout uh, he has, you know, there's flashes. You see it there. He's like you said, he's one of the bigger guys. He was the biggest receiver uh, that you guys had, maybe along with with George Farmer. But what do you kind of expect from from Darius Rogers, and what did you see from him in the spring? Yeah, Darius, his confidence is shooting up, really. You know, and I saw it this spring, you know, really him just being confident and knowing the plays that he can continually make. You know, Darius has strong hands. He's a really good route runner. He's a physical block on the perimeter. He plays on special teams. You know, Darius is really all-around receiver. You know, really not much that he can't do. And so, uh, you know, we've depended on him and relied on him to play different positions throughout his career. And I think now he's just that, that veteran guy that's seen it all, so to speak. And now he's ready to take the next step and, and, and be in that top one, two, three rotation of catches, attempts, and uh, and production. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to that. You know, I, I, we know what he's capable of doing, and we're just uh, ready, you know, this year for the ball to be spread around to to a ball and see what he can do. Yeah, uh, we got to talk about Juju because he was, you know, played most of the season as a 17-year-old, and like you said, losing the, the guys that you lost off the squad, he looks to be the leader, even though he's still 18 years old and, you know, finishing up his freshman year, of college, I mean, it, I, did you see him kind of progress throughout the season? And uh, do you, you expect a freshman like that to be able to come in and and assume some sort of leadership role? Right, he's uh, you know, you're born with that stuff. You know, it's it's not me, it's not USC. It's, it's, you're born with it, or you're born without it. You know, <laughs> and he's just one of those kids that's a natural born leader. And no matter what his age, I can imagine in little league, people say the same thing about him. And so, uh, you know, he just came to college and he expected to start. You know, he never 
never sat in the back of the lines. He never, you know, accepted not being a starter. You know, and uh, that was from the first day of training camp. You know, really, he he and Adore really just came in the door saying, "Yeah, coach, I belong here. You know, I'm supposed to be here." <laughs> and uh, and they never looked back. And you love that as a coach, the competitiveness, that maturity factor, and you know, you lead by example when you're a young player. And you know, Juju's a guy who came in and worked his tail off, and really earned the respect of the players on the team and on the offense what he did on special teams, what he did as a receiver. And, uh, you know, as you get that respect, you become a little bit more of a vocal leader. So with Nelson leaving and George Farmer leaving, some experienced guys, you know, he has taken on that role a little bit. But, you know, we we, we, we spoke this week, you know, really just well, last week. I really just talking about, you know, I want you to focus on yourself getting better. You know, you're so young, you don't need an added stress of feeling like you have to be the leader. You know, just continue to get better, continue to work hard, and that stuff will come. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm just looking forward to his development, his personal development, and ultimately Juju Smith gets better with a better offense because of it. Yeah, he's wearing uh, the number nine that we've seen with Marquise Lee, and I think there's a lot of similarities there. Just both players were, you know, highly ranked. Juju was a five-star, of course, but – you know, both I thought and both a lot of the analysts thought they would come in and play defensive back, come in and play safety. And it was kind of surprised when Marquise Lee started off a wide receiver and tore it up. And same thing with Juju Smith. And it's just like it's hard to picture him going back to the other side of the ball when he's playing so well at receiver. But are there, are there other similarities, I guess you could say, between those two players? Well, uh, extreme competitors. You know, Marquise would die on the field if if he had to to win. You know, he would scratch, claw, do whatever it took to win at anything. You know, always wanted to be first, always wanted to just dominate guys on the field. And, you know, they're similar in, in, in that regard. You know, Juju's just more of a physical specimen. I mean, he's 215 right now as an 18-year-old. You know, and, you know, Marquise was probably 190, 195 at the most. You know, throughout his career, maybe got to 200 for a brief minute. But uh, he's just a physical specimen that, you know, his game is different. You know, Marquise was your big play, get behind everybody, that type of guy. And Juju's, he can, he can do the intermediate game. You know, he's really physical in the run game. And he also has that, you know, that ability to be an explosive down the field, vertical type of guy as well. So, you know, Juju is a is a different guy. You know, he's uh, you know definitely what you want if you had to build a receiver to do the things that he does. That's that's what you're looking for. For now, for for you in general, going on right now, it's just the the coaching life. It seems like you guys are busy all the time. You're coming out of the May evaluation period where you guys are on the road and seeing a lot of. Uh, players, what's kind of the the time fair for you now? I assume a lot of the camp stuff. What what's what's kind of keeping you busy now? Yeah, you know, recruiting never stops. So day to day, you're in contact with players and really trying to get them up for unofficial visits if you can, or you know, uh, get them to train, get them to camp where you can see them and be around them, get to know them and coach them and see how they respond to coaching and um, all of that. You know, the evaluation process never stops. Um, and then you're trying to prepare yourself for training camp and your opponents, you know, for next season. So, 
you know, it's a pretty busy day, uh, you know, this time of the year and leading up to summer vacation. We're, 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 we're thankful to Coach Sarkeesian for allowing us to have the month of July off. So we try to get as much as we can done um, in the month of June uh, before we come back for training camp. So, you know, we, uh, we're pretty busy as a staff uh, on both sides of the ball. And now you obviously can't talk about specific stuff in recruiting just because you're not allowed to talk about anyone that isn't signed. But kind of in right. general, uh, you know, depth is a little bit of an issue. So, you're, you know, you'll likely have multiple signees uh, come February. What kind of – like what are you really looking for as far as you – know, do you want more, you know, big receivers? Do you want a variety? Or, you know, what, what are you kind of looking for? Playmakers. <laughs> get guys that get the ball in the end zone. You know, very productive guys. I, I really go in saying I want a big and a third. You know, sometimes – if you're getting small, you realize that you need size, so it may be that way. But ultimately, if the big guys can't play, then you got to get the shorter guys that can. So for me, it's about playmaking ability. It's about guys that can put points on the board and uh, you know make those explosive plays. And that's what makes our offense tick: is uh, guys that can be explosive, that can take stress off the run game, and allow us to be balanced. So. You know, there is an overall idea of what you want, but at the end, you want to take the best players. And so, you know, fortunately for us, uh, there's some really great players out there, and, and we have our eyes on them, and hopefully we can find the best one. Yeah, there's a ton of uh, talented wide receivers in, just in Southern California um, that you have a lot to choose from that you guys are recruiting. But there's all, you know, also nationally – um, and, and, you know, you're from the South, from Mobile, and, and like I said, went to Tennessee. You guys recruit the South, and you, you bring guys out of there. What are the kind of challenges of trying to, you know, recruit a kid from, from SEC country and signing them and bringing them out to, to Los Angeles? The only challenge is distance. You know, that's really the only challenge is that. And, uh, you know, you, you have to identify the right candidate. You can't just go – east or south and think just because you offer them you're going to give them or even have a chance to give them. Some kids have never watched the Pac-12 games uh, before. Uh, most of them have never been to the West Coast. Uh, most of them are asleep when we play. You know, so they don't even watch your games. So you um, you have a challenge of number one, getting them familiar with the style of play uh, in the Pac-12, getting them familiar with the names of I mean, you can ask some kids sometimes, name some of the coaches in the league. They don't even know them, you know, but they can name every coach in the SEC. So, you know, uh, that's a challenge. Other than that, once we get them on campus, once they understand the brand of USC and the education we have to offer, the networking at USC once you're done playing, the NFL tradition, the winning tradition uh, in, in college football, and all the many, many things that we have, here at USC to sell, a lot of them, their eyes open, like, wow, I didn't know that. And once they uh, get it, uh, then you're in the you're in the picture. And uh, usually, uh, you know, once you hit fall, you kind of have a good idea of the ones that you want to continue to recruit and the ones that you have to just say, hey, man, we don't have a shot. And, uh, and, and just be smart. You know, you don't want to waste time and resources flying across the country. And, and one of the blessings that we have at USC is we do, we are located in Southern California and LA. That's a talented hotbed. 
So, uh, you know, we are really looking for guys across the country that can come in and help us right away, guys who uh, want to play uh, for USC, and guys who uh, understand what it means to uh, to be a Trojan. And so, you know, it's not for everybody, and we don't try to make it for everybody. You know, and uh, that's usually how I am. I'm really humble when it comes to that. You know, uh, like I said, it has to be the right candidate. I would like to think that I can sign everybody, but that's not true. And, uh, <laughs> and once you realize that, you know, you're not wasting time uh, chasing ghosts. Now you're known as one of the you know great recruiters on this staff, and you've been around for a little while. So you've you recruited during those sanction years. What was it like going from signing in the 15 range, you know, with a couple extras or whatever going on, but and then having a, pretty much a blowout and go almost a full class signing 24, 25 guys. How different was that for you going through that recruiting process from non from sanctioned years to not to the one non sanctioned year? You know. Um, one of the, the, the silver linings in the sanctions was that we had to be really, really good talent evaluators because you could rarely miss. And, you know, in every recruiting class, you're going to have some hits and you're going to have misses. A lot of times uh, you have more misses than hits. You know, it's really hard, you know, four or five star, whatever the rankings are for guys to really uh, evaluate if or not it can translate to college football at this level of college athletics. And so, uh, it, you know, we really had to cross our T's and dot our I's. It was uh, slower to offer. It was uh, really having to see guys in camp, really having to go to their campuses, evaluating them, and really as a staff agreeing on pretty much every move that we had to make because not only uh, was that affecting your current recruiting class, but you had to look ahead to see what guys were graduating at what position. And then, my God, we had so many guys to leave early as juniors as well. And so some of that stuff, you know, blindsided us during those times. And I thought we did a heck of a job considering the circumstances of, number one, acquiring some of the best talent in the country. And we really look at last season, uh, last year's draft, our first three draft picks, two first rounders and the fourth rounder were from the state of Florida and guys who were national recruits. And so, you know, following up this year's class of, you know, guys that were really uh, one of the first classes that we were in the middle of sanctions and those guys still decided to come play at USC and go to school at USC. And so now when you have a lot more scholarships, you know, you really feel like, wow, we have a lot, you know, <laughs> but you're able to really um, – gain depth and uh, really create competition at every position. And that's one thing that you miss a little bit when you're in sanction is your ones may be great, but maybe not the guy that's behind him or the guy on the other side of the ball that he's practicing against every day. You know, you lose a little bit of that, but hopefully in the next year or two, we can get that back, signing uh, a few full classes and, uh, and getting out of sanction. That's a really interesting point that when, you, when you're limited, you really have to be on the ball evaluating. And I guess when you have a bigger class, I mean, could you, get, you could slack off a little and be like, oh, we could miss a couple. But you knew when there was only 15. Well, you, you, you really have to be on the ball still, but at the same time, you may be able to go on a guy 
who's a developmental player that may be a red shirt type guy. Okay. As opposed to if you had 15 or 18, it's hard to do that because you're looking at a situation that you're saying, this guy's an injury away from playing. So can we offer him? Is he physically ready? You know, um, all of those intangible things that you look for for a guy who you look at, we led the nation uh, in freshman starters during those years. And it wasn't because we wanted to sell that and recruiting. It was because they had to play. <laughs> and so you miss out on a guy uh, like, say, Nelson, for instance, whether he would have came out as a junior or not, I don't know. But you look at a guy like that in a normal year where Marquis Lee and Robert Woods were already proven and you signed a high school running back, you, you may have redshirted that guy. Yeah. But, you know, Nelson Bagalore comes in, had to play, you know, and he got that experience as a freshman and sophomore. And during the year, he's gone to the NFL. And that's just the world we live in today. You know, guys want to play early. Um, and uh, and guys are coming out early and leaving as juniors more often. And so uh, you have to look ahead as a staff and try to uh, predict that as much as you can so that you make sure you're covering your needs uh, in your recruiting class. All right, Coach, one last one for you. I just wanted to talk about I, I think I brought this up with you a little bit during the spring, but uh, we get this question a lot about the blocking and wide receiver blocking, how important that is for the entire offense and how much emphasis you guys put on. So I don't know maybe if you want to talk about uh, what you do yeah. to try to get the, the wide receivers to get out there on the edge and uh, seal things off and try to open up some holes for some of these guys. Man, I love it. you got to remember now where I came from now. You know, I came from Tennessee where we were a run team and we had guys that were physical blockers on the edge. You know, blockers were Jamal Lewis and Travis Henry, all the great running backs we had there. And then I was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers where we had Collins Ward and Plaxico Burris and all these big wide receivers that, you know, Jerome Bed is running the ball and you got those big pretty cats out there blocking. And then those things set up those plays and that average at receiver where you're averaging 15, 20, 25 yards a catch and um, making explosive plays and getting one-on-one matchups. So, I understand how it all works and how it all helps itself, you know, where if you're not doing those things in a run game as a receiver, it's easy, number one, to know when you're running a route or when the team is running the ball. And number two, I don't respect your play-action game as much as a DB if you're not doing a good job of blocking us in the run game. So I think all of the guys here over the years that I've been here have been committed and They've had pride about it. They've, uh, they've number one, been unselfish for their teammates and wanting to do it. And uh, once the kid wants to do it, it's just a matter of heart and just getting it done and finishing. And that's something that I look for in recruiting. That's, you know, it tells a lot about a player, a receiver, or that's unselfish enough to want to do it and then tough enough mentally and physically to go out there and get it done. And so uh, – but, you know, you think about it, it goes back to us talking about sanctions. We were having to get players that could play on all the special teams. You know, you go back to Juju and, you know, Dory Jackson and Marquise and Robert and Nelson, all these guys who have been in the receiver room that have started on not just one special team but multiple special teams. So, you know, you're talking about guys who are just tough-minded individuals that, you know, they can help us out in many ways. 
You know, I, I said that was the last one, but I guess you mentioned Adoree Jackson a couple of times. So I guess quickly on that, he's a, you know, he's a defensive back. He's playing multiple positions, special teams and wide receiver too. How much time do you get with him? Is he in the re- receiver meetings a lot or does he have to stay in the DB meetings? And is that a challenge, even though he's talented, is that a challenge to get a guy that's kind of part-time receiver? I'll tell you what, man, Adoree Jackson is one of the most intelligent football players I've ever been around. You know, he gets football. And now looking at him in track, seems like he gets track too. But uh, he's just one of those rare, you know, I was watching the show with Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson not long ago. You know, every generation or so, you have these rare players that just kind of get it all, you know, whether it's baseball, football, or whatever. He's one of those guys, man, that just gets it, you know, and he puts his mind to it. He can see it once or twice, and he got it. He can study plays a little bit here, a little bit there. He has it. You put him out there in the field, he gets one or two reps at it, goes in the game, and he does it right. I mean, he's just he's just different, you know. And so those type of players don't come all the time. And uh, certainly it's been a it's been a joy, you know, uh, coaching him um, as a receiver coach and seeing what he does on the other side of the ball, and then again seeing what he does on special teams. So. Uh, but, no, it, it is a challenge as a coach because you're nervous when this guy hadn't been every meeting and he hadn't taken every rep, and then you put him in a game and expect him to do it perfect. And, you know, he, like I said, he's just a kid that doesn't need a whole lot of reps and he can go out and see it perform. It's, it's really funny when you think about signing day 2014, uh, Coach, that, you know, Juju Smith and Adoree Jackson were two guys that, saw, you know, picked USC on signing day. It's hard to imagine where this team would be if those guys didn't <laughs> didn't end up picking USC because it came down to the wire, it seemed like, for those guys. Yeah, I lost a lot of hair recruiting them. <laughs> <laughs> I think the hair is coming back. It's turning gray. But, uh, but no, man, they were certainly worth it. You know, and uh, our staff did a great job of going from one head coach to another during the season and another after the season. Uh, we really went through four coaches doing their recruitment. And uh, it's a testament to everyone that helped, you know, past staff, current staff, Coach Sarkeesian, making a seamless transition, getting to know them, uh, getting into the living rooms, meeting the families, and really making it all make sense for those players and their families to uh, make a decision to trust and believe in us and where we're going as a program to choose USC. And uh, we're, we're excited to have them. All right, it's T. Martin. He's the wide receiver coach for USC. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach T, T-E-E, at Coach T17. Check him out. He's, he's all over social media. You got you, you to do that now, Coach, right, because of the recruiting aspect. Man, man, well, Instagram and stuff. Well, you know, I, most of my family live East Coast, down south, and it's hard just sending everybody a text message. So it all started off wanting to do that. But then, of course, with recruiting, uh, that's an everyday way to communicate you know, with your recruits. And uh, that's a uh, benefit in having social media. But, you know, mainly it's for the family and friends just trying to stay in touch with what's going on. Oh, what's your what's your Instagram? I don't really do Instagram. My wife kind of handles the account. But what's your Instagram? Oh, it's the same thing, Coach T17. Okay. Same as my, my Twitter. Is that that the kids do the yeah. Instagram more than Twitter now? Or are they kind of moving away from that? Or Oh, man, kids on Snapchat. They're on oh. Instagram. They're on every new thing you can find. They're on it. You know, there's so much stuff out there. But mainly I'm seeing Instagram, Snapchat, uh, Twitter still. Twitter is kind of a way to send direct messages. But 
Uh, I, I know a lot of people are using those other uh, means to communicate as well. All right. Well, Coach, thank you so much for uh, coming on to the Peristyle Podcast. Really appreciate you uh, taking some time out and talking during the offseason. It was a lot of fun. No problem. I fight on, buddy. All right. Thanks, Coach. And everyone else, thanks for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. Have another show tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.